Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Beat My Guest. I'm your host, AJ Mass. If you're new to the show, each week I invite a guest to sit in the hot seat and field questions in a wide variety of topics, earning points for the episode on a scale of 1 to 100. For those of you playing along at home, you have but one task set before you, and that is to see if you can beat my guest. Mm, but before you can beat my guest, you need to meet my guest, so let's give a warm welcome to today's guest. It is the king, the godfather, whatever you want to call him, he is the trivia master of all trades, Jonathan Oaks. Jonathan, welcome back to the hot seat. I'm blushing. I'm like none of those things. I might be like the the weird nephew of trivia. <laughs> it's good to be back, man. Uh, it's good to have you. For those of you who don't know, Jonathan Oaks is the host of Trivial Warfare, kind of the podcast that uh, begat this uh, podcast. Uh, I listened to his podcast and said, hey, these guys are horrible. I could do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, listening to another trivia podcast, uh, I, I was inspired to start Beat My Guest. So uh, as always, sir, I am indebted to you. Oh, man. I uh, I love what you've been doing. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, why don't you, uh, you know, I gave you the brief uh, Jonathan Oaks bio, but is there anything else you'd like to uh, share before we get started here? Uh, what's going on in your life? Uh, you know what? Honestly, I'm uh, just having a fantastic year this year. I've really been working on growing Trivial Warfare, and we've been making a few changes to our, our model and the way that we do things. But um, if you haven't ever checked it out, just check us out. You can find us at trivialwarfare.com or better yet, just look on any podcast app, any one of them you want, type the word trivia in as a search and we should come up somewhere in there. Yeah, somewhere, probably somewhere a, near the top, preferably, but you never know. You're probably a few steps ahead of me, but that's okay. <laughs> You've been around longer, so it's all right. <laughs> Get that senior discount, right? That, exactly. We're we're uh, we're old school trivia now. That's who we're the we're the old dog kind of laying on the porch. <laughs> Indeed, it's the carousel of progress has uh, <laughs> passed you by, and nobody goes on that ride anymore. I hope that is not the case for you. No, <laughs> I hope not too. <laughs> well, uh, let me explain uh, to all of you who may be listening for the first time, or if you just need a little refresher course as to what's going on here, there are going to be four rounds of four questions apiece. In each round, I will let Jonathan know the categories in order that we'll be using for that round. Before we read each question, he gets to lock in how many points he wishes each question to be worth. Get it right, you get the points, Jonathan. It is just that simple. And there will also be a halftime bonus worth 10 points. At the end of the game, you'll field what we call the confidence question, which will be your last chance to try and improve your final score. But I will explain all of that when we get there. It's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow, Jonathan. Are you ready to proceed on round one? I am ready to go. Stoked, as they said in the 80s. I'm stoked. This is gonna be Oaks stoked. Yeah. <laughs> it sort of rhymes. <laughs> I'm stoked. Right. Round one. As always, the point values available to you will be one, three, five, and seven. And here are the categories we're using tonight. We're going to kick things off with Who Done It, followed up with television, move along to sports, and finish up round one with Around the World. So, Who Done It is up first. One, three, five, or seven. Well, we all know I'm terrible at TV, so I want to use the one on TV. Um, you know what? This is probably going to be five points. Good luck, sir. And here we go. One of the first women to attend college on a scholarship in Cambridge, UK. She was the first person to translate the works of Dostoevsky, 
Chekhov and other deep red Russian writers into English. Who done it? Easy peasy. Oh, yeah, piece of cake. <laughs> Wish I had some cake. That would make me feel better about missing this question. Um, okay, so deep red, and I'm trying to suss out your clues here. So deep red. Oh, man. Honestly, if you ask me who translated anything, the answer is going to be I don't know. So I just got to hope for some kind of some kind of inspiration here. Deep red makes me think of deep blue or deep red makes me think of deep south because red states or opposites, right? Uh, I don't think it's going to be the deep south side, though, because we're talking about the UK and we're talking about somebody who would be focused on Russians. You would think this would be somebody who's fantastic at languages or somebody who either maybe came from Russia or that area. And we're talking, I feel like we must be talking about the early 1900s, if I had to guess. I'm not, I feel like Chekhov is late 1800s and Dostoevsky, I think, is turn of the century. I'm not positive about that. So I'm just looking for a, a Russian female that stands out and none are occurring to me at all. I knew I should have eaten my Wheaties before we started. <laughs> this, this, that was a tactical error. Bowl of soup. What a loser dinner. Yeah, but there's cake later, right? Oh, yeah, no. No, I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not near the ocean tonight. There's no cake here. Well, I don't have a good answer. I'm going to guess Dr. Ruth Westheimer. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Ruth Westheimer is your answer. Uh, now, I do know that uh, Dr. Ruth Westheimer was uh, an Israeli soldier sure. in the military. Yeah. And of course, she wants to make sure that you do the things that are right, but to do the things and to, and to do the things. Very good. Very good. Uh, unfortunately, uh, one of the things that she recommended was had nothing to do with Russian literature. Yeah, well, hey. <laughs> Although she probably recommended you not be rushing uh, into relationships, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so, uh, part of part of my mission statement here on Beat My Guest is to not only entertain but also to educate. And I think there's a, a severe dearth of Black history, and there's also a dearth of uh, women in history. And so, this question is part of that uh, mission statement to kind of educate people on people that we should know, but we don't. Mm -hmm. uh, this woman, uh, we would not know who Dostoevsky or Chekhov were in America. Uh, if not for this woman's efforts to actually translate these authors into English, because obviously not a lot of us are speaking Russian these days. So, though with the current government, uh, you never know yeah, going no, forward if we may have to learn it. But uh, so, uh, didn't expect you to get this one, to be honest. However, the you were uh, very clever to pick up on the fact that Deep Red was a clue. It was a clue for potentially getting her last name. And, you know, in our trivia world, last name only is acceptable. Uh, this is a woman who was born Constance Black, married name Constance Garnett. Oh. And a garnet is a deep red deep color. Red. Oh, I hate you already. <laughs> Only one question. I already hate you. Only five points on that one. And, uh, you know, I have a feeling that uh, you may be able to get on the scoreboard with this next one uh, and get a whole whopping one point because that's what you told me you wanted to do on television. But let me make sure. Oh, one God. Well, now if you think I know it, this is now. See. Damn you, AJ. <laughs> or maybe I'm just trying to get inside your head. <laughs> uh. 
it's so easy. I have like holes all in my head, <laughs> nostrils and ears. Oh, well, why don't I live a little? I'll try three. Three points on television. You're not going to know this one. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Here, Jonathan, is your three-point television question. Good luck. Although she has played a recurring character on House of Cards and BoJack Horseman, Constance Zimmer was nominated for an Emmy for her role as Quinn on what show? Oh, you know what? I made a, such a dumb mistake. I forgot that I don't watch TV. <laughs> that that was a that was it that was an error in my judgment. Constance Zimmer. Just for the record, I haven't seen House of Cards. Also, I did watch the first episode of BoJack Horseman because everybody said how amazing it was, and I hated it. There was a cat lady who might be this person, and so Constant Zimmer played Quinn. And you want to know what TV show? Correct. A TV show for which she was Emmy nominated. Emmy nominated. That's her. Well, I mean, I know there is a Quinn in popular television. Uh, she was a medicine woman, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to do it. You know what? Quinn sounds like the possible name of a Doctor Who sidekick. I'm just going to guess Doctor Who. Doctor Who is your answer. Doctor Who, of course, uh, now being played by Jodie Whittaker. And uh, I hear she did very well. I haven't actually seen the debut episode yet. So, uh, Constance Zimmer on House of Cards played a character named Janine Squirsky. I didn't watch the show either. But I hear she played Janine Skorsky. Yeah. I also hear that she voiced a character on Bojack Horseman named Skinny Gina. Was she a cat? <laughs> no clue. Don't no. watch the show. However, uh, she was not a medicine woman. She really hit it big on a show that was a fake Bachelor kind of spoof parody show. Oh, no. Uh, and she got a lot of Emmy kudos. And the name of the show, Unreal. Ah, Okay. Never heard of it. I couldn't have answered well, that if I knew the answer. <laughs> uh, I watched the first couple of episodes of that. Not not too bad. Just there's just so much television on these days. Hard to watch it all, especially when we're podcasting. What you know, what was the lady's name in the first question. That would be Constance Garnett. Constance. Spinning it off to Constance Zimmer in the okay. question two. All right, unreal. Gotcha. Yes. Well, I should have stuck with my one, AJ. Hey, I got inside your head. Let's get me out of my head, oh, or my out of your head, or head <laughs> it's a scary place in here dude but uh, there is cake so I mean, well, there you I go got that going for me <laughs> it's corn, it's all, if there was cake in my head it would literally i was about to say it'd be all corner pieces but no it would be all individual pieces that were frosted on all sides with like like four corners on one piece of small cake that would be my little cakes Okay, well, you can celebrate your <laughs> celebrate inside your celebrabellum with all the icing you want. But sports is still up next. Seven. We'll go seven on sports. Seven on sports. Okay, good luck. And here we go. A member of the original New York Mets, this longtime coach and manager, whose beaning resulted in the mandatory use of batting helmets was notoriously involved in a 2003 brawl with Pedro Martinez. Who is he? Don Zimmer. Okay, don't blurt it out. You know I need a podcast buffer here. <laughs> what so give said, me a little bit. You said, Mets, you said popular coach manager, and then the Pedro, come on. That, 
Zim, baby. Zim, he was a he was with the Rays for the last 10 years of his career or so, and he was a beloved figure in Tampa Bay. Absolutely beloved. Indeed, he's had his number retired by Tampa Bay. Uh 66, I believe. Interesting about Don Zimmer, which is the correct answer. Most people do remember him uh probably from being uh <laughs> rushing at Pedro and getting tossed aside uh, as as a senior citizen, not exactly the way that <laughs> you'd want to be treated. Although in fairness to Pedro, I don't think he knew who was running at him. It was kind of in the middle of the the brawl. But yeah, he got hit in the head. Uh, went into the hospital, actually had a steel plate inserted in there because the damage was so great. And then they said, you know what? Everyone's got to wear batting helmets. But just shortly after the incident with Pedro Martinez, he was sitting in the Yankees dugouts and he got hit in the head by a foul ball. Oh, And that's why uh, they put netting up in front of the dugouts. So what do you think Don Zimmer for a lot of damage saved? I also think that uh, the lesson learned here is that if you're at a ball game, don't sit next to Don Zimmer. <laughs> you know, it could have been worse with the Pedro thing. He could have charged Nolan Ryan. Can you imagine that? Don Zimmer in a headlock getting punched. Getting the Robin Ventura noogies on him? Yeah, that would have been exciting. <laughs> All right, well, hey, seven points. You're on the board. Got one. I got a big one too. I'm proud now. I'm proud. Good old Popeye. Don Zimmer. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll move from that beloved, beloved baseball figure to around the world. It is going to be worth one point for that is all that's left you. Are you ready for your one point around the world question? Let's do it. In September of 2008, one dollar of U.S. currency was worth one thousand dollars in this country's currency. Just five months later, $1 U.S. was worth $300 trillion. As a result, what nation discontinued its own monetary system? There are there's lots of countries with astronomical rates. Um, a part of me wants to say Greece. I don't... I, I mean, I know there's, I feel like there are Southeast Asian countries where their, whatever their monetary standard is, is worth hundreds of thousands per one US dollar. But 300 trillion means a full collapse of an economy. And I, I'm just not familiar enough with the situation in Greece. I knew they had a lot of political mess and I knew that there was, but I feel like they must have. No, it's not. I don't think it's Greece now because they were part of the EU and the EU who was doing a lot of belt tightening was getting mad at Greece because Greece was not doing the, the hardening or the belt tightening. So that means they would have been on the Euro. So it's probably not Greece. It could have been a country that was invaded. It could have been a country at war. It could have been a country with a huge natural disaster. And, and so Whatever the event was happened at the end of 2008, very beginning of 2009, uh, probably early in that span, probably right there towards the end of 08, because it probably got worse and worse by the day. So it took some time to get all the way down. The tsunami in Indonesia, I think, was 2006. So it's not that. 2008. I got to be honest with you, man. September of 2008, my brain was in one place, Tampa Bay. <laughs> we were going to the playoffs for the first time ever. 
That was that was literally occupying 100% of my brain space at the time. Um, I know Venezuela has had significant political problems and unrest related to poor financial situations. I'm trying to think if there's anything in the other questions that might lead me here. We had Cambridge, Cambridge, Deep Red, Garnet. We had Unreal. Oh, Constant Zimmer led to Don Zimmer. Don, Don. Where do you have Dons? You have Dons in Italy, don't you? Or Spain, Don Pedro, Don Giovanni. Because all of these did go names. They went, they went um, Constance to Constance, Zimmer to Zimmer. And it's probably not another Zimmer. It's probably a Don thing. Don, God, but Don's, Don's more like a title because you have French Don Perignon, right? You have Don Giovanni is Italian. Don Pedro could be Mexican. So it's not, or Mexican or Spanish, it's not limited to a certain country. I can't think of a country with Don in it at the moment. Donald, so Don is short for Donald. Donald Duck is really popular in like Sweden or or else or or wherever it's a Scandinavian place. Um, I feel like I'm on the right track with the theme, but I don't feel like I'm on the right track with the answers I'm coming up with, and that's sad. You know what? I I'm I'm not coming up with it, but Sudan does. Oh, you know what? Uh, Arab Spring. The Arab Spring was right around that time. Maybe Libya. I wonder if Gaddafi ever called himself Don something. I'll watch it be in the region and I choose the wrong one. That'll be awesome. I'm going to guess Libya. Okay. Libya is your answer to the question. This monetary situation is legendary for uh, being the probably the worst ever example of something called hyperinflation. Uh, every country has inflation from time to time, but this was ridiculous. They were exchanging money and you could exchange, uh, you know, $1,000 notes uh, for $300 trillion notes. I mean, it's insane. Uh, they just decided as a country, forget it. Yeah, we're just not going to collect money of our own anymore. They do accept uh, US dollars. They accept Japanese yen. They accept the South African rand. Uh, but no longer can you actually use Zimbabwe dollars in Zimbabwe. Oh, Zim, no! Dang it! I chose the wrong half of the name. I thought you were alternating. Well, every time you think I'm going to zig, I zag, my friend. Oh, I was there. <laughs> I even chose it's, the right continent. It's not the Dominican Republic. <laughs> Man, that would have been a magical one point. I know it wasn't worth much. But I just want to find my way into one of your answers. If I can logic out, yeah, you know what? That there's a feeling that you get from that, that that's worth celebrating. It's a little bit funny. This feeling inside. <laughs> Thanks, so. Well, Jonathan, you may want to run and hide uh, after that last answer, but you still got the most valuable question in round one correct. That's seven points. As we head into round two, that's not too shabby. We're almost at a double Tristan after just one question right. So that's pretty good. <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to stop picking on him, but it's not today. It hasn't stopped <laughs> being funny. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to move along to round two. Point values are going to increase to two, four, six, and eight. And here are the categories we're going to be using in round two. We're going to kick things off with movies. 
followed up with history. Move along to Pop Goes the Blank. And we're going to wrap up round two and the first half with That Happened. So, movies is up first. Two, four, six, or eight. Um, I feel like my best category here is going to be history, but I'm betting your history question is going to be obscenely hard. I'm going to go... I'm going to... Oh, boy. I'm actually going to go six points on movies. All right. Six points on movies. Good luck. Old strategy, Cotton. <laughs> here is your six-point movies question. Bob Harris's hotel stay in Japan is the focus of the 2003 film Lost in Translation. I didn't know the that, that but I was sitting there. I bet that's I bet that's Lost in Translation. <laughs> Thanks a lot. What brand of whiskey was he there filming an ad for? Clearly, you've heard of the movie. Clearly, those daggers you're shooting at me uh, <laughs> are very sharp. Come on, man. <laughs> Brand of whiskey. I don't need what's what's really irritating about this question in particular. It's the first in a round. Mm -hmm. so nothing to build off of. And it might be a fictional whiskey. <laughs> so I don't know. It's probably a fictional whiskey, which means I can just make something up and have a zero percent chance of getting it right. But I have to guess a real whiskey because Otherwise, what's the point? I used to work for a lady who wrote a marketing campaign, and she did, she didn't speak Spanish, but she had to do a Hispanic marketing campaign. And it was an insurance company, and the product was called Florida Healthy Kids. So I got all the brochures and all the materials and all that stuff printed out and ready to go. And the person who did speak Spanish looked at it before it went out, and every single piece of material said Florida Healthy Goats on it. <laughs> as the word kid that they chose was the goat version of kid in Spanish. <laughs> so I tell that story because lost in translation, I don't, I've never seen the movie of course, because I'm me and I'm assuming that perhaps the name of the whiskey is translated into something unusual for the Japanese audience or buyers uh leaving him with perhaps some egg on his face that's that's straight guessing okay so what could be well all of that logic to get, get me nowhere because i still <laughs> gotta make up something i'm gonna go ahead and, i'm gonna guess fireball <laughs> fireball is your answer this movie uh lost in translation although uh, a fictional movie was based on a real life story uh the director of this film was sofia coppola okay and she had remembered fondly that uh her father francis ford coppola was one of the first uh batch of celebrities who was invited to come over to japan in order to uh film some ads for uh whiskey and so when she made her movie lost in translation uh, bill murray portrays bob harris who is this celebrity who gets invited to come over and do an ad for this whiskey it is a real whiskey oh man uh the original ad campaigns were actually filmed by uh kurosawa so it was a, there was a meeting of uh, kurosawa filming francis for coppola i can't imagine what the stories were like there uh but she remembered this fondly and so in her film she used suntory whiskey 
Some a corn. real brand. Was there any truth to any of the logic I used there with with uh, the translation being a problem? Uh, no, because it's a real brand, and so oh, well. used it. Um, it was more that uh, it was culture shock of him living in a hotel in Japan. All right. Well, you didn't get that one, but we still have three questions left in this round. And history is up next. You have a two, you have a four, and you have an eight. Going eight. Eight points on history. I wish you well. I wish you luck. I wish you'd reconsider. No, I'm kidding. Here is your eight point <laughs> history question. Uh, the mistaken translation of the word mokusatsu, according to a declassified NSA report, may have been responsible for what historic event? Can you spell Mokusatsu? M-O-K-U-S-A-T-S-U. Mokusatsu. Please don't ask me to use it in a sentence, because I just did. You are, I already have. <laughs> um, so it's a translation of Mokusatsu, meaning somebody has intercepted a message, or somebody has been provided a message and read it wrong. So... Perhaps this is, could have gone to a foreign diplomat or foreign leader and ticked them off. Let's say Russia, for example, and then Russia could have started the Russo-Japanese War as a result. Or it could have been intercepted. This total, complete, 100% BS right now. Uh, but let's say we intercepted a message that there was going to be another major surprise attack or bombing, and so that triggered the dropping of the atomic bombs. So those are the two avenues. I would think that this would have to do with something that happened to Japan. And it would have been, uh, if it is, then a Japanese person wouldn't mistakenly translate it. So it would have had to have been a foreign person or foreign power to translate it incorrectly and then lead for them to do something. And you said event. I'm not sure if event for you means one-time thing or something greater. Being an American and not a well-educated American, my knowledge of specific Japanese history is poor at best. Uh, I think of the stuff that relates to us. So you have Pearl Harbor, which I, which I don't think fits my narrative. But if misinterpretation could mean I heard it wrong or something, then that could have led to you know what there is there a story maybe maybe i'm onto something here is i feel like there might be a story where where the admiral in charge of the fleet received some kind of command that he interpreted the way he wanted to or something along those lines maybe maybe that's all just dust in the wind but but that's ringing a bell a little bit so i'm actually gonna go ahead and just guess pearl harbor Pearl Harbor is your answer. Certainly, uh, we're talking about mokusatsu. It sounds Japanese because it is indeed a Japanese word. This uh, mistranslation came about as the result of a declassified NSA report, so clearly it involves the United States. The NSA is our agency, so clearly it has something to do with us as well. Armed with those two uh, pieces of information, uh, really, uh, World War II would probably jump to mind and there's a reason for that because it is a world war ii event uh you are talking about pearl harbor i believe the incident uh story in question there is that the ambassador for japan was sent here with wrong information thinking that he was here to negotiate a peace treaty and they did that on purpose so that they could have the sneak attack at yeah, pearl harbor yeah, yeah whereas in this case the united states uh, sent a letter to uh the powers that be in japan 
uh, and said, you need to respond to us within 10 days or something bad's going to happen. And reporters were hanging around and said, so uh, what do you think of that letter you just got? And he said, mokusatsu. And there are two definitions of mokusatsu. One, which is what he meant, is no comment. The other, which was reported back to the United States, is I am ignoring this with contempt. That seems like a dangerous uh, double meaning for a, a specific word. You might want to double check that before reporting it back to the United States. Uh, <laughs> uh, odds are it would have happened anyway, but armed with that information, uh, we took steps necessary to begin the bombing of Hiroshima, which is the correct answer. You, you, you were on the right track. You thought of it. No, I wasn't there, but I was there. I was there. I'm not going to say you bombed on that question. but <laughs> Oh, that's a terrible joke. <laughs> it is. It is too soon. Too soon. All right. So let's just move along. Uh, Pop goes to the blank is next. You have the two and you have the four. I'm going to go with um, four points. Four points for Pop goes to the blank. Here is the question. Luis Fonsi sings on Espanol the following lyric. Blank. Quiero respirar tu cuello blank. Fill in the blank with both the Spanish word he uses twice and its English translation. Oh, crap. You're going to have to spell, dude. <laughs> what, we, we got blank. What's the, what's the words? Quiero. Q-U-I-E-R-O. Mm-hmm. As in, yo quiero taco bell. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Respirar. R-E-S-P-I-R-A-R. Tu. T-U. Cuello. C-U-E-L-L-O. Both uh, those four words are bracketed by uh, the same word filled in the blank. So, Luis Fonsi is the artist known for Despacito. My, and Despacito, I believe, means slowly. I'm not sure if that's the blank word, though, here. All right. Da, 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 da. But other than that, I'm just taking a stab in the dark at a random Spanish word that I don't know. So I am going to guess Despacito and slowly. So Luis Fonsi, of course, uh, sings a very popular Spanish language song with his friend Daddy Yankee, not to be confused with Don Zimmer. <laughs> <laughs> uh justin bieber of course uh, joins in the fun on um, one of the versions of of the tune not the better version by the way no not a, not at all it, yes uh despacito quiero respirar tu cuello despacito yes indeed i want to breathe in your neck slowly slowly is correct despacito yes! is correct four points for you you almost talked your way out of it but you are correct sir <laughs> Who knew that I should have gone eight points on a Despacito question? (laughs) So this is funny. This is what happens to me. I mentioned earlier that I've actually been listening to Cake by the Ocean by DNCE. What happens for me is a song will be popular and I'll become aware of it through trivia and through people. And like three or four years after it's popular, I'll give it a listen and I'll be like, huh, you know, that's pretty good. And I'll start listening to it and I'll enjoy it. And so that's exactly what happened with Despacito. It's the most watched video on YouTube ever. I should go watch it. And so I watched it and it was just awesome. It was catchy as heck. The video is super sexy. It's a great video. And 
I'm just like, man, I really enjoy this song. <laughs> so it's been in my little like uh, rotation of songs that I listened to for for a while now. Whoop Gangnam Style. <laughs> All right. Well, well done, sir. Four points for you on that one. Uh, we are going to move along to the final question of the first half. It is that happened. It is worth two points. Are you ready? I am. Here is your two point. That happened question. For a very short time in the late 1970s, the New York Yankees leased a mascot called Dandy. But after fan reaction, they changed their mind, uh, shall we say, the opposite of Despacito. Very quickly, indeed. But in September of this year, the Philadelphia Flyers debuted their new mascot, which some people have called an ugly orange Babadook. Okay, I call <laughs> An ugly orange Babadook. That, that's just me. <laughs> it does. It's exactly what he looks like. Well, given your laughter, Jonathan, I think you shall have no problem answering my question, which no, is I simply. Don't know its name. I don't know its name. What its what? name? <laughs> you want to know its name? Yep. No, I don't know his name. I just know his googly eyed face. Oh, it starts with a G. It starts with a G, but it's a soft G, I think. <laughs> it's like it's like Gimli and my ox. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, what's his name? Damn it. I've I've seen pictures of him a lot because we have quite a few big time hockey fans who enjoy trivial warfare. Um Oh, Brent Bolmeyer and Aaron do the and Aaron Barclay do the uh, sports trivia face off. They're huge hockey fans, and so I've seen them joke about this weird looking thing. Duke, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> he is the creepiest mascot I've ever seen. <laughs> Grimy? That'd be a funny name for a Philadelphia mascot. It's almost like a city description. Um I think it is something like grimy. I think I'm going to go with grimy. That's that's my answer, grimy. You are all around it. I thought you were going to get it when you said you were in the city. And when you're in the city, your mascot needs to be gritty. 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 I went with grimy and it was gritty. Jesus, it's the same word. <laughs> it means the same thing. Oh, Jonathan. So close. Oh, man. So close. You know so how close. much I'm going to hear about that? Jeremy Conman just heard me answer that, <laughs> literally IMing me right now, and now he's stopped to laugh at the fact that he's IMing <laughs> me to tell me what a doofus I am. Ah, uh, yes. Gritty in the city comes out to the ice. I'm sure it's a scritty politty. No, <laughs> I thought you were going to say something about his dancing being shitty. <laughs> no, no. Actually, his dancing is actually the most charming thing about him, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you know what? He's a mascot, and as a mascot, he deserves my respect. That's right. Even if he doesn't. Still look looks like an okay orange barbecue. Well, Jonathan. You did get one question right that round. Yeah. Yep, worth four points. We're going to add that to the seven you had coming into round two, which means you are entering halftime with double digits. Excellent job. 11 points. Well on your way to a decent score. Here is how halftime is going to work. 
I am going to read you the question. It is our only partial credit question of the game. After I read the question to you, I'll give you a little bit of time to think about what you're going to answer to this question while we pause for absolutely nothing. There's no reason for us to pause, for we have no sponsors. Sponsors we lack, but ambition we doth have. Enough of the Shakespeare. Here we go, sir, <laughs> with your half-die bonus question. Worth a possible 10 points to you. Foreign language films may not always hit at the U.S. box office. But nevertheless, there is still an Oscar to be awarded each year in this category. For two points each, I would like you to name for me any of the countries to win an Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film for the years 2010 through 2017. Give you a little bit of time to think about your answer to that question, and we'll be back after the break. Are you beating my guest? Or is my guest beating you? Tell us all about it on Twitter or Gmail at BMGPod. If you like what you're hearing, please review and rate us on iTunes. And if you'd like to support Beat My Guest, helping to make more episodes like this possible, please consider becoming a patron at patron.podbean.com slash beatmyguest. And now back to me for the second half of this week's episode. And welcome back to Beat My Guest. My guest this week is Jonathan Oaks. And when we last left Jonathan, he was sitting on 11 points, working on the following halftime bonus question. Foreign language films. Now, they may not always hit at the U.S. box office, but nevertheless, there's still an Oscar to be awarded every year in this category. For two points each, I have asked Jonathan to name for me any five of the countries to win an Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film for the years 2010 through 2017. Jonathan, what have you got for me? So I'm, I'm kind of... I'm making a couple of assumptions. I think France is probably one of them because France always seems like it's one of them. They make a ton of movies in India. Uh, Bollywood is huge. And so I would assume that India possibly could be a correct answer. From there, it's those are the two I feel the most confidence in. From there, it's more of a guessing game. Something is pulling me to Israel. From there, it's like, okay, Brazil has a lot of people. Could it be Japan? Maybe uh, something Scandinavian. If I feel like Scandinavian might be the way to go here, and so it's like, okay, what about what about Denmark or Iceland? And Iceland would be a weird thing to choose, but hmm. so that's kind of where my thinking is right now. Um, so I'm going to say India, France, Israel. I think I am going to guess Brazil. And then I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess Denmark. Okay. Those are your guesses. And I am going to uh, take us back in time, starting with 2017 and work our way back to 2010 and reveal the envelope, please. La La Land. Oh, wait, no. Wrong envelope. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, in 2017, a film by the name of Una Mujer Fantastica translated to A Fantastic Woman, was the winner for Chile. Hmm. Chile. In 2016, a film called Forshande, translated to The Salesman, was a winner for Iran. Oh, you know what? I thought about Iran, but I didn't. Oh, man. I mean, okay. In 2015, 
a film by the name of Saulfia, Son of Saul, was the big winner, giving a trophy to the country of Hungary. Mm, I'm killing it right now. You are killing it. I'm on 2014. Fire. Ida was the film. Translation, Ida. Come on, Poland was... Poland. No, Poland. Poland was the big winner for Ida. Of course, Poland. Actually, yes, there was actually a, a, a kindly old uh, lady who spoke nothing but Yiddish who lived in my building growing up. Her name was Ida. She was from Poland. <laughs> in 2013, La Granda Balizia, The Great Beauty. Italian. Italy, yes. 2012, Amour. Please, France. Translated. Amour. <laughs> of course, with a name like Amour, how could it not be the country of Austria? Oh, damn it. Damn! <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but it's true. In 2011, Jodaye Nadir Azamin translates to a separation. Yes, as another trophy for the great country of Iran. And in 2010... How you doing so far, Jonathan? Not so good? Well, <laughs> uh, I've, I've managed to maintain my score, which I'm very proud of. In 2010, a film by the title Havnan translates to In a Better World. So I'm thinking Havnan might translate to Heaven, and we translated it into In a Better World. It's a Scandinavian film. Iceland, isn't it? And it is from the great cinematic country of... Denmark, two points for you, sir. Are you serious? I am serious. <laughs> I guessed one. Woo! Your fifth no choice. No France. Uh, no Israel. Uh, they've won in the past, but uh, not since 2010. But we're going to move on to round three. Point values are going to stay the same at two, four, six, and eight. But the categories, they're going to be a changing. And here's what they're going to be a changing to, Jonathan. We're going to kick things off with analogies. Followed up with music. Just for you, Chris. What comes next is what comes next after music, and we're going to wrap up round three with audio hodgepodge, which admittedly is a bit of a lifestyle. Jonathan, analogies will be up first for you, two, four, six, or eight. Um, you know what? I don't really have any great categories here. I'm going to guess four for analogies. Four points for analogies. All right, let's kick off round three in fine fashion. Complete the following analogy. King James is to the Bible as Temple Lot is to what? So King James is the king that essentially paid for or forced into labor the scholars necessary to translate the Bible into English, if I'm not crazy. And so Temple Lot would be the person who translated some other holy work into English or possibly forced others to do the translating. That's what I think we're talking about here. Temple Lot does not kind of, I don't even, it doesn't even sound like a name. Um, so we could be talking about the Quran. We could be talking about any number of holy books, really. My knowledge about various world religions is, is scant at best, so I'm not going to spend too much time here. I think I'm just going to go with the Quran. The Quran is your answer. Uh, so I think you got the gist of the analogy here. King James' version of the Bible is one of the most uh, well-known versions of the Bible, so certainly you get that connection there. Uh, temple Lot is not a person, but there is a Temple Lot version ah. of, of a holy book. Oh. Uh, 
I don't think I don't think it necessarily changes your line of thought there okay. too much. At least I hope not. The Book of Mormon. <laughs> the Book of Mormon. That's the name of the book. That's a real book. The Temple Lot version of the Book of Mormon was commissioned in 1990. It was uh, commissioned by the Church of Christ, uh, a, a group of people known as the Hedrickites, uh, and it is one of the most popular uh, or commonplace versions of the Book of Mormon. Did not even know the Book of Mormon was a real thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's oh, what yeah, the Mormon yeah. faith is based on. Uh, music is up next. You have a two, you have a six, and you have an eight. Oh, man, I got a music question right earlier. Will lightning strike twice? Uh, yeah, I don't know. And you have an audio hodgepodge, but that doesn't necessarily mean music. Music could be anything. You're kind of a person of my generation, though. My kind of album co album covers on your back wall there. So I think I might go big here. I think I'm going to go ahead and put eight on music. All right, eight on music. I hope that was wise. We shall find out. As I ask you the eight-point music question, Hunger Strike was a 1991 song written by Chris Cornell and released by what band? Hunger Strike. Uh, I'm not going to go hungry on this um on this particular question, this was a combination of Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, and um, it was Temple of the Dog. So what you're saying, Jonathan, is that you don't mind stealing bread. <laughs> I do not indeed. Because it's on the table. <laughs> uh, yeah, Chris Cornell, this is actually, uh, what's interesting is that a lot of people think this was like some sort of supergroup thing with, with Soundgarden and, and Pearl Jam, but actually... This was a tribute song written after Andrew Wood, a uh, singer of Mother Love Bone, had passed away. And this actually predates Pearl Jam even existing. In fact, oh, it, it really? was... Yes, this it was released after, but it was recorded before. And actually, uh, Eddie Vedder kind of just showed up uh, to the recording, and he was the only one there who was able to sing the backing vocals. And so Chris Cornell was originally going to try and sing both parts and he couldn't really nail it. So he said, yeah, Eddie, try it out. And Eddie was there with a couple of other members who would then went on to form Pearl Jam. Yeah, like Jeff Ament was a member of Pearl Jam who started with Mother Love Bone, right? Yeah, yeah. So with, without the, this song, there would be no Pearl Jam oh, wow. uh, in all likelihood. Uh, but Temple of the Dog is the correct answer. Eight points. You got another music question, sir. How about that? Who knew that was my strength? I didn't. <laughs> you know, AJ did not murder a hit, so Jonathan, what comes next? Well, what comes next comes next. So I ask you, what comes next for you? Is it the two or is it the six? I think it's going to be the six. All right, six points on what comes next. Let's keep the ball rolling. What comes next? Silver, hunger, American. What comes next? It is not. Um, the appropriate gifts for anniversaries. You don't have the hunger anniversary. <laughs> Even though if there was, it would be the first anniversary, I'm sure. American. Silver-made, hunger-made, American-made, silver-metal, hunger-metal. No. Those words seem so unrelated. And so I'm trying to find a connection. Well, let's go back a little bit. We had Temple Lot. We had temple of the dog we had mother love bone pearl jam sound garden cornell we have a couple of colleges there between cornell and temple 
American College is a thing. Silver College, Hunger College, no. But Hunger stands out as being the real oddball here. Hunger. Silver Games, Hunger Games, American Games. I'm usually pretty good at picking up patterns, but it's not happening right now. I, I hate giving up on it, too. Well, I guess I can't be confident that I'm going to know the relationship even after you say it. That just may be something foreign to me. I, I don't know. I'm going to guess um, Temple. I'll guess Temple. Would AJ be that simple? <laughs> never know. Or would AJ be that devious? <laughs> right. I'm actually proud of this one because I think this is actually very clever, but it is very hard. So I uh, I would glad not. Glad to hear bad. that. I'm glad to hear that I didn't get stumped by a super easy one. No, no. Although you walked onto the track and walked off it. I feel like, uh, yeah, I believe it. I believe it. So this is the first word of four consecutive film titles from the filmography of one Jennifer Lawrence. Silver Linings Playbook, Hunger Games. Catching Fire, yes. American Hustle. And I then, still wouldn't know the next one. <laughs> yeah, the next film. Yeah, so in November of 2012 was Silver Linings Playbook. In uh, November 2013, Hunger Games Catching Fire. Uh, in December of 2013, American Hustle. And then in May of 2014, uh, she was part of the lead ensemble in X-Men Days of Future Past. I would give would give you credit for X or X-Men in this situation. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. If Hunger Games had triggered Jennifer Lawrence, you might have been able to at least... It triggered Suzanne Collins for me. I started trying to think of book series that it might... Fit. Yeah. Tough one, to be sure, but I think a fun one. Although, your amusement may vary. <laughs> 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 one question left in round three. It is going to be worth two points, should you get it right. It is our audio hodgepodge question. Here's how this is going to work. I am going to ask you a question. After I have read said question, I'm going to play a little clip for you. And hopefully, when you're done listening to the clip, you will be able to answer the question. Are you ready, sir? I am ready. What actor was about 10 years old when he starred in this commercial where he was extra hungry for some American cheese? Hey, 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 uh, 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 hands off. The free singles are for daddy. Oh, but mom. But you know he is watching his fat and cholesterol. But mommy, make a good sandwich. So eat something else. Look, new craft free singles, fat free for daddy. Mm. Uh, 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 they're for daddy. Pass the bread. We'll save him a couple. All right. New craft free singles. Flavor like that without the fat. All right. So that was, uh, craft free singles commercial which probably fat free cheese i'd have to guess might be 20 years old or something like that so this is probably somebody in their 30s sounds like a little white kid i i'm not i'm not picking up the clue i'm gonna guess zach efron zach efron is your answer uh well yeah i, I don't really think there was any clue in here other than i took American hunger and X, which was the answer to the previous question, and kind of stuffed them all in the clue together. <laughs> Couldn't work silver in there at all. <laughs> oh, it's not. Like, I hope it's not um, Ed Norton X, American History X. There, American and his and X in the same answer. That, uh, I think he's a little bit older than uh, you would want him to be for this commercial. No, uh, really, it was just more of uh, listening to the uh, 
clip and seeing if you could possibly place the actor's name. Uh, he is finally uh, a proud winner of an Academy Award after many, many years, but he got his start begging for cheese, <laughs> went through some growing pains. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, mom. That's dad's cheese. <laughs> you had 13 coming into round three. You are leaving with 21 points, which is not too shabby at all. And we are ready for round four, which is, as you know, the highest scoring round of the game. Point values increased to three, five, seven, and nine. The categories, well, they're going to be as follows, sir. We're going to start things off with literature. Move along to mashup. Followed up with science. And we're going to wrap up Round four and the second half with Wiggle Room. Literature is up first. Three, five, seven, or nine. I've already shown my literature chops by missing the uh, wonderful Russian literature question earlier. Once upon a time, I considered literature a strength, but that was back when I had a lot of stuff memorized before. <laughs> before my memory went and I had to refigure out every answer that I ever worked my way into. I know I'm not going to get science or any number question right, so I should probably go pretty big here. I'm going to go seven. All right. Seven points for literature. Good luck. Here is your seven-point literature question. What novel from 1856 was the first written by the man who in his final years lamented, sometimes I think I'm liquefying like an old camembert? Sounds like a Monty Python sketch. <laughs> okay, so 1856, first novel. So, I mean, it could be a Mark Twain question. I'm not 100% sure of the years on Twain, but that sounds about right. Or it could be a French author, but I'm going to struggle to pull the correct French author from from that period. It also fits. No, it doesn't it doesn't fit. It's before dickens it's before tolkien it's god i mean it's right in that time that really draws you into possibly twain and he was a humorist and so this is kind of a quirky thing and so then it would be what was what was mark twain's first novel but you'd think that he started with his biggest ones first i feel like tom sawyer was the spinoff of huckleberry finn I'm going to guess The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Uh, certainly, certainly it's uh, possible. Sounds like something that uh, Mark Twain would say. Absolutely. But we were indeed uh, hoping that the fact that we could have chosen any cheese in the world, and we went with Camembert that would steer you towards the French. This is the lament of a, a dying man by the name of Gustave Flaubert. Oh. Madame Bovary. Who was suffering from uh, venereal diseases, which is why he was liquefying <laughs> away. Disgusting. But, you know, you got to give the guy credit for being so witty and clever amidst such uh, obvious anguish and pain. <laughs> if you would have given me Madame Bovary, I would have got it. Or Bovary, well, I imagine. Very true. And that is indeed the answer we were looking for. Madame Bovary was yeah. his first novel. Yes. Yep. And Bovary sounds like bovine, which is milk and, and cheese. So, you know, yeah, no, yeah, I was making that connection. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm trying to help you out here. <laughs> well, you didn't get that one, but Mashup is next. You have a three, you have a five, you have a nine. How much for Mashup, sir? I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and use my nine on it. 
See if you can come up with the correct answer to the following mashup for nine points. Good luck. If you don't understand the lyrics being sung on Chinese democracy, perhaps this particular carved hunk of rock can help. I didn't know it was going to be cryptic. <laughs> uh, so I knew Chinese democracy was um, Axl Rose's um, Guns N' Roses album, which wasn't the original Guns N' Roses lineup. And I started, the first thing I wrote down was Barney Stone, <laughs> which was definitely going to lead me in the wrong direction. But a hunk of rock used for translating would be the Rosetta Stone. So I'm going to guess... I don't know if you want Axel Rosetta Stone or Guns and Rosetta Stone, but it's one of those two. I honestly don't know which way you're looking. Both of them could work. I guess the Axel Rosetta Stone would be a little cleaner. So I'm going to guess the Axel Rosetta Stone. The Axel Rosetta Stone, uh, certainly uh, Chinese Democracy was this album that was promised by uh, Axel uh, way back in the day. And every year... <laughs> Have you listened to it? I I never listened to it. I never listened to it. I actually there was there was a stretch where I had written an article for the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, one year, and it had been like twenty three years since they had made the playoffs or some some such ridiculous number like that. And the last year that they had made the playoffs was the year that Axel first promised Chinese democracy, and we were still (laughs) waiting for that as well. China was going to become a democracy before he delivered on the album. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you are correct, sir. Yes. Uh, the W was optional. You could have gone with W, Axel Rosetta Stone, or just Axel Rosetta Stone. Well done, sir. You used your illusion very nicely. <laughs> Nine points. Its volume is not necessarily, but uh, the number of points, uh, very well done. <laughs> got 30 points on four right answers. I'm, I'm, I'm digging this today. Hey, hey, you know, you are very fortunate. Very fortunate indeed. Uh, interesting side note, the Rosetta Stone is made out of granodiorite. I knew that. Of course. Yeah. I just wanted to say something very science-y before we moved on to the science question. Arms. Three or five, sir. The other one's numbers, which might be math. Probably not math, math, but anything number-wise scares me. Uh, you know, every once in a while, I I come up with a lucky answer on science. I'll go ahead and put the five on it. All right, five points for science. Good luck. And here we go. The concept of two particles potentially located light years apart being able to communicate with each other in order to align their properties was dismissed by Einstein as being both illusory and impossible. What two-word phrase did Einstein derisively call this idea? I think it's wrong, but the best answer I have is wormhole. Uh, I think Einstein had something to do with wormholes. Uh, Wormhole could be two words. I think of it as one word, but it could be two. Uh, And I do believe that they have proven some interesting things about wormholes like they there may be some that exist like at the very bottom of the ocean or something like that so i'm I'm gonna guess wormhole wormhole is your answer i'm not going to go into a debate as to whether or not that's actually one or two words <laughs> i think that uh all depends on uh which version of the dictionary you use i mean are you using the temple lot dictionary or webster's so <laughs> so the uh the concept is normally called quantum entanglement 
Oh. And this is when two particles kind of uh, exist and you switch the uh, polarity or the direction or something of one and magically the other one snaps into place. They are, they are entangled at the quantum level. This is something that scientists are just about on the verge of proving they have found some examples of this happening in the real world. And Einstein had, you know, he's a very smart man, but he thought this was poppycock, balderdash, hogwash, hogwash, indeed. Uh, and he referred to this entire concept as spooky action <sighs> at a distance. Spooky, spooky action, action was. Let's just move right on to Wiggle Room. Our numbers question. Uh, you have one question left. One value left, so this is going to be worth three points to you if you get it right. Are you prepared? No, but we'll do it anyway. Are you scared? Of <laughs> uh, spooky action? Of course. <laughs> All right, well, here we go. Your wiggle room question. According to a report from the website Ethnologue, which is the official group that keeps track of this sort of thing, how many known living languages... Are there on planet Earth as of 2018? As always, you get 10% wiggle room in either direction. So there's like 200-ish countries, I think. But like a country like India, every single region has three languages that they speak. They speak Hindi, but I think it's three. Yeah, they, they learn English. They speak Hindi. And they all have regional dialects. And there's hundreds of them just in that one country. Most countries aren't so diverse in that regard, but some of them are. So, I mean, if you take your, if you took your number of countries and multiplied it by, let's just say an average of four, then maybe we're talking 800 to 1,000-ish. But I don't feel like that's right at all. I feel like it's a magnitude higher than that. I think it's probably closer to 10,000 than 1,000. All the different dialects, all the different African languages that I assume exist that I don't know about. I'm going to guess 9,000. 9,000 is your answer. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you talked it out about as well as, as you can talk it out. There are a lot of languages out there uh, in, in the world, and India is certainly one of those places that has a lot of them. Uh, Southeast Asia in general uh, has a lot. Uh, even in the United States, because of all the Native American languages, that the number is far more than one or two you know, uh, that you would think. Uh, you know, well, people speak English, people speak Spanish, but you know, Navajo. Yeah, yeah, all, all, all these languages and a living language is generally uh, there's a threshold of how many native speakers or, you know, active speakers of the language are, are exist. I don't know exactly what the threshold is. I think this uh, is 10 people is what they use as their thing because, you know, if you're just the one guy who lives on the island speaking <laughs> speaking this archaic language, it's, it's hardly considered living at that point. Yeah. There are thousands of languages on the earth. The question is... How many thousands? How many thousands? And unfortunately... You overshot it by just a bit. If you had said 7,000, you would have been safe. The correct answer is 7,097. Mm. So with the wiggle room, 
Any answer between 6388 and 7806 would have given you the points. Sadly, no bueno. I was close. <laughs> I was within 30%. Nevertheless, you got the nine-point question in this round. Fair enough. So we're going to add that to the 21 you had coming into the round, and you are pretty good shape, sir. You have 30 wonderful, juicy points as we enter the confidence question. Here's how the confidence question works. This is your last chance to try to prove your final score. Only one question is before you, Jonathan. Only one answer is required. I will give you the category, and you must. Must wager between 1 and 10 points. Get it right, and I will happily, happily add it to your score. But if you get it wrong, Jonathan, not only will you lose those precious points, but no cake for you. You're not my mom. (laughs) You can't stop me. So I ask you, on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you in the category that I am calling... Code case. Code case. That's not leading me to a lot of confidence. My get rate is so small, frankly. Four out of 16 plus one out of five on the midpoint. So uh, five out of 21. I'm, I'm averaging right around 20, 25% or so. So I would be foolish to bet 10. And I'm foolish, so I'll bet 10. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, well... It's not like you could take the points home with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good luck, sir. Here is your confidence question. Code case. 70 years after an unknown man was found dead on an Australian beach, it is still a mystery today as to his identity. Known as the Somerton Man, what cryptic phrase was found in a hidden pocket in the corpse's pants. Have you heard of the Somerton Man? Unfortunately, no. Which is going to make this difficult, but I think I've kind of zoned in on a possible answer. I believe the correct answer is, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts doodly-doo. I I believe, (laughs) I might be messing the phrasing up, but I believe that is the answer. So to be clear, your answer is, I have got a lovely bunch of coconuts, doodly-doo. Doodly-doo is critical for this code. It, it loses the translator key without the doodly-doo. Would you be disappointed if I told you the correct answer was, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, doodly-dee? <laughs> <laughs> I would be up in arms. I don't know what that would look like, but I mean, my arms would be up. Ah, like the ceiling can hold us (laughs) well uh this is this is uh again one of these cold cases where uh they found this guy on the beach they didn't know who he was and several months into the investigation they kind of found a secret compartment in his pocket in his pants and there was a torn out piece of a book uh, the book was by an author by the name of Omar Khayyam, uh, who wrote in Persian. And the phrase on this uh, small piece of paper, uh, which is also an alternate name for this case, uh, not just the case of the Somerton Man, but is also sometimes called the Tamam Shud case. But I would have been fine if you had just given me the English translation. All about translation this episode. And... The cryptic phrase that he had ripped out and hidden in his pants, the end. 
Oh, 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 no. Oh, wow. What an appropriate way for this podcast episode to end. <laughs> the on, end of your 10 points. On that note, <laughs> I might have gotten the Tom on Chew part. No way I was getting the end. I mean, jeez. Well, you know, there are other podcasts out there like My Favorite Murder, and they're all over this one. But <laughs> I think I think I heard it on Lore. It just, it's, it's like a podcast true crime staple. I've got to start listening to more podcasts. What I've found in doing one is that it really takes my time away from listening to them. Uh, Jonathan, 20 points is still nothing to be ashamed of by any stretch of the definition of being ashamed. I hope you are not ashamed. Uh, uh, before I ask you to leave, please shamelessly plug whatever you wish. Well, uh, I mentioned it earlier. I am the host of Trivial Warfare, and along with Chris, Carmella, and Ben, we have a ton of fun every week bringing listeners on just like you uh, to play a pub quiz. You can find us on any podcast app that you so choose, especially for you kids out there who like the Spotify. We are on the Spotify. So uh, you can find us there as well. And uh, give us a try. And if you don't like it, don't write a review. <laughs> avoid that, all right? Ixnay on the Evuray. Something like that. Something like that. We'll translate it later. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, I highly recommend, if you're into trivia, the more the merrier, I say. And uh, Jonathan, as I said earlier, and sang his praises, uh, all right, I promise I won't sing anymore, but uh, I sang his praises earlier in this episode. Uh, and one of the things that I am uh, most thankful for is that Jonathan has fostered a very collegial atmosphere amongst the trivia podcasts that are out there. And I've been on his show, and uh, I hope that the goodwill if you're listening to this and you enjoy it please give jonathan and trivial warfare a shot and about all that good stuff i just said jonathan it's now time for the harsh truth get the hell out of my hot seat (laughs) that's all right my my biscuits are burning (laughs) until the next time folks thank you all for listening we'll see you next week take care bye-bye bye guys did you beat our guest or did our guest beat you Tell us all about it on Twitter, at BMGPod, or email us, bmgpod at gmail.com. Also, please review and rate us on iTunes. And if you liked what you heard, spread the word. This has absolutely not been a Mark Goodson, Bill Todman production.